already eyes are watering. It's not good. I know it's a really moving talk. Um, so we've spent the last couple of weeks going over our kind of new yak motto um, of what it means to be rescued, worthy, and brave. If you've missed those talks, it's on iTunes. I really do think it's worth your time and uh, maybe even conversation with one of your siblings or a parent um, of what it means. Because to root our identity in Christ brings peace abundant. And when we try to root our identity in really anything else, I can promise you it's just going to let you down. So we're going to be in brave for more than one week. The implications of our motto are vast. And using theological terms, it directly ties our justification with our sanctification and looks forward to our glorification in Christ. So if you're on our Bible studies Tuesday or Thursday morning as we're talking about justification... To be brave ties our justification to our sanctification and links it to the glorification that we will have in Christ. So we're at the end of our motto of what it means to be a yak student, and the first three words have brought a lot of logical implications. If our identity is rooted in I am, then we are not our own, right? I am. Romans six fifteen and 17. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but grace? Under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Right? If we root ourselves in I am, then obedience to him will naturally follow. If we are creatures, then we should look to our creator for our identity. Right? That's the simple thing that we talked about. And from the same verse in Romans 6, we see that we are rescued from slavery to sin. And we're rescued to being a people of God. And being rescued will define who we are for the rest of our lives. But you can be rescued and still be empty. You can be rescued and still be empty. We can have survivor's guilt, right? Or live as though you wish you were still enslaved. We talked about that if you remember your devotional with the princess. But God has made us worthy. He has made us righteous by his living a perfect life on our behalf and taking our sin on Calvary. He has dealt with our nakedness. He has dealt with our shame and he has made us worthy. The question now becomes, and it's your first fill in the blank. And it's the question we're going to spend the next couple of weeks answering is this. How should worthy people live? How should worthy people live? And the answer to that is simple if you've been following our yak motto. And that is to live bravely. To be brave. What does that mean? Brave. We see it continued. We see it continue through Romans 8. We spent the last week looking at the beginning of Romans 8. And I promise you we didn't do it nearly enough justice. It's one of the most beautiful sections of scripture. But we are going to move to the latter half of the verse over the next few weeks. Turn with me if you can. Romans 8, 12. We're going to camp there. Romans 8, 12. We're not doing a story tonight. We're going to pull from one verse. While you get there, I'm going to give you the context. Okay, Since 8, 12 begins with, 
so then, which means you have to know what happens before it, it's important. Here's the beginning. I'm going to read Romans 8, 1 through 11 again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, where we're going to camp. So then, brothers... It's like Spanish here. You know how hermanos can mean brothers and sisters. That's what it's like in the Greek. Okay? So, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Let me pray. Father God, as we look at this one section of Scripture tonight, we, may we pull much, both from that context in itself and from what happened before it. Lord, as we are reminded of that, that we are creatures made in the image of a creator, that we have been rescued from the sin that has plagued us and, Lord, made worthy and stamped as righteous, saints, beautiful and holy because of your Son. May we then in turn be brave and live lives of obedience and debt to you in your Son's name. Amen. I like how the New American Standard Bible puts it, so I'm going to quote the same verse from there. This is what it says. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So if you know, look at the two verses. We're debtors, and we have an obligation. We're debtors, and we have an obligation. This is passed over far too quickly, and I think so very much even more in reform circles. It's missed entirely. We are a denomination that preaches the sovereignty of God, right? That's what we're about. If you ask anybody in any seminary, what are Presbyterians about? They're going to be like sovereignty, right? They're going to be sovereignty of God. That nothing in the universe happens without God's permission. That's what sovereignty means. Whatever God wills, right? Like that's, that's being Presby. When I was your age, I missed this next part. Just because God is sovereign does not remove human responsibility. It does not remove human responsibility. This does not remove the need to be brave, to move forward in the face of adversity or trial, to step into difficulty. We are debtors, and we have an obligation to do so. We have an obligation to do so. Now, debtors can be hard to understand when you don't have a lot of cash. And since you're a teenager, I truly hope 
This is the poorest you will ever be in your life, right? I hope this is the least amount of money you ever got in your bank account. I hope by the time you become an adult, you get a job and you start bringing in money and you're not living at mom and dad's place, right? I hope this is the poorest you can get. So when I talk about debt, this is kind of a weird concept for a teenager because you don't pay a lot of bills, right? You're going to be, Caleb is figuring out right now, Fisher, oh, house bill, carb. Oh, man. Like, that adds up quick, right? So debt happens. So let me try to explain it to you in a term that will hopefully at least help you feel what I mean by debt, right? Because I can't walk through Dave Ramsey's seven stamps to financial freedom with you tonight, okay? So your sibling, think about it, your sibling wants a new bike but can't afford it, okay? With the new bike, they say they will get a job. And they will pay you back. Also, they also say, because they're honest, it'll give them some freedom. And bikes are fun. They are. Okay? You do tricks with them, pop wheelies, ride with no hands, right? So, payback, fun, freedom. Yes? Do we get to use the bike? No. <laughs> they're bike. This is good for them, right? This is good for them. Work ethic, check. Freedom, check. Fun. Check. All good things. God approves of those three things. That's why we're American. You have a job and no major expenses coming up, so you lend them $100. They say they will pay you back as soon as they can. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and you need to learn this. Whether you want to believe it or not, you have changed the relationship. You have changed the relationship. It just has. Debt does that. A month goes by. They have a job. And they've started to pay you back. Awesome. They gave you 20 bucks last week. One fifth of the way there. And they also bought a used gaming system for $100. So how would you feel about them playing the gaming system? Just think about it. How would you feel? About them playing the game system. There would be a sense in which you might think, hey, that should be mine. Right? They owe me. The next week, they have also given you another $10. We're down to 70 This is good. Say you pay back. And as you're driving home from Yak, they want to stop and get something to eat. You are hungry too. You are hungry too. So you pull into God's Burgers, aka What a Burger, and then, and then your sibling proceeds to tell you that they don't have any cash on them, but they're willing to pay you back. It makes sense to them because they're already indebted to you, right? And they know that you have ten dollars. Because they gave it to you, right? Eight bucks for a meal. God's burgers are expensive. So now they are back up to $78, right? And as they bite into that burger, there is a feeling of them being in debt to me. But do they really care, right? Burgers, gaming systems, what's next? A new tire. The bike tire pot. They can't get to work without one. And they're in between paychecks. Can you spare 30? 
Now we're up to 110. You are cursing the fact that you didn't include interest in your loan, which was foolish. Okay? (laughs) Debtors are slave to the lenders. It's a proverb. It's literally in the Bible. Debtors are slave to the lenders. Being in debt to someone changes the taste of that Thanksgiving meal, both for the slave and the lender. Now, there is a difference in the lender in this story of $100 and the lender in the story of creation. I grant that. We have a giving lender who literally bore the penalty of our sin at the cross and paid our debt. That's the definition of atonement, right? He paid our debt at Calvary. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He made us worthy as he adopted us as children and united us to Christ. Yet, if you have a gracious lender, you should be a gracious debtor, right? Obligation should bring excitement, not fear. Go back to the story of the sibling that owed you money. If they had bought the game station, if they hadn't bought the game station, but paid you back immediately, it would have strengthened your relationship, right? If further, they had paid for your meal at God's Burgers as a thank you, it would have been perceived as kind. And if they had done that gratefully, you would have gained a friend instead of an offended, instead of offended a brother or sister, right? This is your next one on the blank. Debts and obligations are not by definition negative. Debts and obligations are not by definition negative. So how we respond to those debts and obligations will bring joy and frustration. I have an obligation, most of you actually know about this obligation, to be loyal and love my wife. It's my obligation. It's a covenant I made with her at a ceremony. But I don't approach it as a negative. Hallelujah. Right? I don't bring in flowers for her on our anniversary. And when she says, thank you, I don't respond with, it was my obligation. It doesn't score me points. That was almost a question out there, right? Why don't you give me the thank you for the corsage? It was my obligation. Can you imagine if I did? Can you imagine? Do you think it would make her feel really valued? Yet my love and loyalty for her is a beautiful obligation. It's an awesome obligation. But like all debts and obligations, sometimes we just don't feel like it. We are obliged, obligated to attend service on Sundays. Fourth commandment says so. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And there are mornings where you and I, I get paid by the church, right? Wake up and want to do anything else but go to church, right? Literally anything, anything. I will do anything. I will eat burnt pancakes, right? Like Those are awful. Those are awful. That's bad. Okay? There'll be mornings where you're going to feel like that. There might be whole seasons of it where you want to live according to the flesh, not the spirit. 
But we need to be reminded of our identity in the I am, of rescue, of how the gospel makes us worthy. And we bravely walk forward and pray that God would sanctify me that Sunday morning as I bravely die to self and live unto God. There is a lie in our culture that we touched on in the fall, and it goes like this. And this is how it relates to being brave. Next, fill in the blank. I have to feel like doing something before I do it. It's great, isn't it? It's even better than the sermon. Okay? It's good. You want it. Enjoy it. Well, the lie in the culture again goes like that. I have to feel like doing something before I do it. And let's be real. Okay, uh, women, this applies to you too. But men, this specifically applies to you as I've watched men grow up. The, one of the big jumps on a boy becoming a man. And women, you need to pay attention to this too, okay? Especially you older ones that might start dating boys here. Don't date boys, date men, okay? Right. But like, this is one of the key indicators, right? When they stop saying, I didn't feel like it. When they stop saying, I just didn't feel like it. And start saying, it needed to be done. You know someone's grown up. There are 20, 30 year olds. There are tons of 40 year olds who live in their parents' basements who still haven't come to this conclusion yet, right? I don't feel like doing it. I don't care. That's the lie, right? I got to feel like doing something before I do it. And you do this all the time. I promise all of you do this every week. Listen, I have to feel like doing my homework before I do it. You ever say that to yourself? I gotta, I gotta feel like it. I'll wait thirty minutes, Mom. I'll watch this YouTube show, and then I'll feel like doing my homework. Right? I'm gonna feel it before I do it. Yeah, that's wrong. It turns into two YouTube shows, and then the whole season of Cobra Kai is over. And you're like, what did I do to myself? Right? I have to feel like forgiving someone before I do it. I gotta feel it. I gotta feel forgiveness. I have to feel. Jay's gonna feel this. Just you and me, right? I have to feel like working out before I pick up the weights or go for a run. i got to feel it. I'm just not feeling this workout. Right? It's the reason why maybe I don't ever work out, right? Like, <laughs> one I've heard the unchurched say is that I'm supposed to feel holy before going to church. I'm supposed to feel holy before going to church. I've got to make myself right with God before I show up at his doorstep. We've already talked about this lie in the fall, but I can promise you, you don't have to feel anything to do anything. Nike is right. Sometimes you just do it, right? This is called maturity. This is literally the hashtag adulting. This is the whole thing this is about, right? I don't feel like it. Well, you got to do it, right? You got to pay your bills, okay? Sometimes you just got to do it. This is being brave and this is your sanctification. This is your being brave and this is your sanctification. Want proof that you don't have to feel something to do it? Heard this great story? I'm going to tell you it. I'm not just, I'm not setting you up and then not going to tell you the story, right? So there's an amazing story about an Indian man from India, not Native American, okay? Who has come to this country with his family and they're Christians. So far, not weird, yeah? Yet a few years ago, his family chose an Indian bride for him. He's never met her. But it is what his family has done for many generations, as they could remember. We call it an arranged marriage. And it literally, and for literally generations, this happened all over the world. Most of you are only a couple generations removed from the concept. Crazy. 
So an American friend of him asked, how are you going to love her? You've never met her. Good question. It's not a bad question, but you should ask that. Good question. He had a twofold answer. The first one, and I love this one. First one was that he said he trusted his father. His father was interviewing the women, the families that they were coming from. He trusted his father would not find a nagging woman. One that believed a different God than he. One that held the different values than he did. He trusted his father. The second was this one. And it's your next one on the blank. This is what he said. I don't have to feel something to love someone. Many times, feeling something comes after loving someone. Some of you have done the Christmas event at Reach North Texas. You meet those random families with kids, right? You've never met them. And you hand the little one a toy, an act of love. They smile. And suddenly you feel something. Right? I didn't have to love them before I gave them the toy. I gave them the toy and then they smiled at me. Now I'm like, I kind of love this. It's like action many times precedes feeling. If someone is bullying you at school, there is a desire to seek justice, to pay them back. But what would happen if you started praying for their salvation? Daily. Maybe even every hour. I've had to do this, right? I literally had one of these on my wrist, right? And every time I think a bad thought about that person. Okay, AJ, pray for them right now. Lord, save their souls. Because they're a wretch. <laughs> yeah. And then I got to the point a couple weeks in where I said, Lord, save their souls. And maybe use me to do it. That took a couple weeks. That wasn't like one flick of the wrist, right? Maybe every hour. Your action would lead to a changed heart. I've never had anyone do this and it not lead to some sort of change in heart. There are times, believe it or not, where I am frustrated or angry with Corey. Every married couple in here can relate to this, right? Good, good answer. Good answer. It is in those moments that I have to choose the brave thing to do. And find a way to love her that day. Even when I don't feel love, my act of love many times brings about a heart full of love. That's a brave action. To step against the way I'm feeling, frustrated anger. And in the process, I reflect the I am. I act as the rescuer. And I treat someone as worthy. So your next fill in the blank. We extend the gospel by being brave. We extend the gospel by being brave. So this week, we're going to talk about tangible ways you can do it in transformation groups. This week, I want you to be brave. Because if the Spirit of Christ dwells within you, the same Spirit dwells in you as the same as the Spirit as the Son seated before your Father in heaven. You have extraordinary power to step into the uncomfortable. 
and a beautiful obligation to do so. And as we fulfill that obligation, we will know God more, be walking in His will, and loving our neighbor as ourselves.